pastoral text this morning, I am looking at uh, the biography of Mary. Uh, Due to the veneration of Mary by the Catholic Church, a lot of Protestants uh, tend to minimize her role in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, and and, uh, we probably uh, do that maybe a little bit too much. Uh, She is an exemplar of uh, a person who lived by faith, and I think it's important for us from time to time to take a look at her life. And uh, I don't want to overstate the obvious, but she was a necessary vessel in the salvation of our souls. She had to be the the bearer of the child uh, who would be born. But far from being a divine being, Mary was very human. Mary was a human being. She was not a porcelain figure that you would see in a nativity set with a halo. She was likely a young woman who didn't want the pregnancy, it was totally unplanned for her. She, she didn't expect this by any stretch of the imagination. And the difficulty of an unwed mother was even more pronounced in her day than it might be even in our day today. Feelings of fear and not of joy would have flooded her soul. And this morning I plan to provide a brief biography of Mary and focusing on her overcoming faith. And I ought to remind us all that we ought to be looking at her, uh, not with a a veneration, but with a recognition that a human being filled with human flaws lived by faith, experienced difficulty, and this was done for also for our example. And so I'm going to start this morning. I'd like you to turn with me in Matthew chapter 1. And in any of these texts that I'm going to ask you to turn to, we can't spend a lot of time if we're going to look at her whole lifetime. So, as, as it's recorded in the Scriptures, but Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be first looking at Mary's family tree. Mary's family tree. No living being comes out of nowhere. We're all product of those who come before us, and uh, we have to give that some recognition. I've always enjoyed hearing people's family trees and recognizing, actually, people love to tell about their famous uh, family roots, and uh, you get to hear some of those from people. Uh, everyone, it seems, has been a descendant from somebody on the Mayflower. Um, you don't know, you could turn around and even, you know, they might have like a Russian name and, you know, and they're actually descended from the, you know, the Mayflower pilgrims or something. Uh, but I don't know how those things work. But in Matthew's gene- genealogy, um, you may be familiar that this is a record um, of Joseph's family line. And why did I ask you to turn to Matthew instead of Luke, which speaks of Mary's earthly line? I wanted to bring out how that up to the life of David in both family tree lines, they're exactly the same. Matthew and Luke share a similar genealogy, and at David they begin to branch in two different directions. But prior to David, they shared the same root in lineage. Matthew highlights for us actually four ladies who might be considered notorious, yet God chose to bring them into the family line of Jesus, and Mary follows in this footstep as well. Um, You see in uh, verse, um, verse 3, we see a 
a recognition that Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Tamar, um, I'm not going to go into all the details. I'm going to trust you have some familiarity. But Tamar uh, had uh, children out of wed in a way that was inappropriate. And then you go down a couple of more verses, and you see in verse 5, we see recognition of Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Rahab was uh, the one who housed the spies in Jericho, and her profession was prostitution. She also experienced, expressed faith in the true and living God and was grafted into the line of David. And then you drop down in verse, um, actually you keep going in verse 5, you have Rahab, and then you have Boaz, the father Obed of by Ruth, who was a Gentile. She came outside of the family of, of Abraham, and she was grafted in as well. Drop down to verse 6, and we come to David. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. Another grand example in which someone fell into sin, and yet God wondrously redeemed them and brought them into the family line of Christ. Uh, all of these ladies point forward to Mary. Mary and her pregnancy was one of question, but yet it was not an illegitimate birth that existed, as was supposed. And so in many ways, these things point back to these ladies and how God used and rewarded their faith in the true and living God to bring them into something special. Let's go on from the family tree. Let's turn over, if you will, um, to Luke chapter 1, if you could. Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38 is the section that I'm considering right now in which the angelic announcement came to Galilee, to Nazareth. And to a virgin who was at that time betrothed to Joseph. And uh, Mary is, uh, again, a remarkable contrast to the ladies who fell into sin. She, on the other hand, is pregnant not through sin, but she is going to experience shame as if she had sinned. She is going to start to suffer for righteousness' sake even though she had done nothing wrong, she is being commu is communicated to her uh, greeting and favor from the Lord. Verse 28, this is the announcement by the angel from heaven. Think about the difficulty and the suffering that she would have to embrace for righteousness' sake. Although she had not committed sin, she would suffer as if she were a sinner. She would experience the shame and the gossip and the, the pressure of having to explain to her betrothed that this was a supernatural occurrence of the Holy Spirit. We don't know when she would have told Joseph, but we do know that she was instructed to go see Elizabeth, her older cousin down in Bethlehem, who at that time was six months pregnant. And so she traveled down, and uh, think of uh, 
some of the things that she was running away from. She was going to be running away from the gossip, the comments, the remarks, the wagging finger, a skeptical fiancé. And it was very difficult. Math, uh, Joseph also considered what was going on, and he considered the fact of possibly annulling their, their uh, betrothal. You know, I think it's important for us to recognize the hardship that she was going to experience and that everyone who follows in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ will also have to suffer for righteousness' sake. The church has got to be willing to follow the footsteps of Mary who suffered for following God. We must also be willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. You know, we, we know many nice and esteemingly, essentially kind people who look at us at times kind of paternalistically as if we're cute to believe in this Jesus. We actually can find suffering without even running too far. We can find people who mock us and say how strange it is that they would take courage and faith in someone who was hung upon a tree. We actually see what other people cannot see. We have eyes of faith to be able to see what others cannot see. Mary had eyes to see what others could not see, that this was given to her by the Holy Spirit, this pregnancy. And so let's continue the biography to consider the reception of Mary as she goes down to Bethlehem and she sees her cousin, um, I'm not going to attend all the details in this biography, but I want you to notice Mary's worship in verse 39 through 50, um, 56. In particular, verse 46, in the, the song of Mary, in which uh, Emily provided for us uh, at the beginning of our service. In verse 46, we read, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She had real faith in God, who was doing miraculous things within her body. It was able, she was able, because of eyes of faith, to be able to rejoice even though she was receiving mocking and scorn. People weren't going to call her blessed in her town, but she, with eyes of faith, were looking, was looking forward to a subsequent generations who would rise up and call her blessed. She had faith in God. You know, the word blessed means fortunate, happy. In fact, it's sometimes described as someone who has found the good life. I've, we, we count those who are blessed who have received wealth over their lifetime and perhaps are experiencing some of the, the blessings of life, and we might at times be tempted to think that they found the good life, that they have achieved that which is worth achieving in this lifetime. But consider what Mary was saying. 
that in spite of the scorn, in spite of the derogatory names that she would be blessed with, she with eyes of faith could see the good life that she was inheriting, being called the mother of the Christ child. She recognized the beauty that that was. Her son Jesus uh, would describe in time the elevated status that she was receiving, that many who are first in this world will be last, and those who are last will be first. Having eyes to see, people of faith, we have to see what the world doesn't see. We have to elevate in our minds and hearts and live by faith so that we can endure and suffer hardship. Now, Mary unquestionably had the most unique childbirth of all time. And in this storyline, we go down to Luke chapter 2, and we see, I, I don't know how many ladies have had angels singing at the birth of their children. Uh, us guys don't quite cut it. But we're happy and we're excited that there is a birth. But Mary had the most unique birth sequence, but she also had probably one of the most unique uh, birthing suites. She was not in a beautiful upscale hotel, or, excuse me, hospital room. Uh, but through memoria, women have always had difficult deliveries. She experienced all the same things that ladies even today experience and needing the back rubs, needing the, you know, having the water break and all the struggles ever since Eve was told to expect painful childbirth. Bethlehem, after all, was a long travel. It was a, at least a day, maybe even two-day travel from the north to the south. And after that long travel, they were relegated to the barnyard. That's where they were told to stay. And as I, we look at this text, uh, just very briefly, um, she, was, she was surrounded by visitors after the birth of her child. I don't know how many ladies like to have visitors after they've had a birth of a child. I mean, some of us would rather not even have the pastor come by. And I get it. I understand, and I'm not offended. But the reality is, she had strangers in and around her. Shepherds came and filled her room. Claustrophobic. And you had all those animals around. And they were telling her these strange events in which Luke chapter 2, 11 uh, describes for us. They said, uh, the angel's message, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That would have been puzzling. And we're told that she pondered them, these words, in her heart. The word ponder means to incorporate, incorporating them into her soul. She may not have fully understood them. She was recognizing that this was no ordinary revelation, but she knew that she was simply a daughter of Israel, a daughter of Abraham. 
And knowing the scriptures by faith, she considered what was happening and she was taking it all in. She was not only looking with eyes of faith into the future generations, but she was also by faith looking into her present and appreciating the messages that she was receiving from these messengers, the shepherds who told her the words of the angels. But as we move along in her biography, we, we, we come along to the point where it even becomes more challenging for Mary. Mary is going to be told that she's going to face sorrow. Let's turn to later in the chapter to verse 21 through 40. This section talks about the transition where they, eight days later, they go up to the temple. They're in Bethlehem. They're, they're maybe a couple hours couple of hours away from the capital of Jerusalem where the temple was, and so they, they went up there and they took baby Jesus eight days later to be circumcised. And while they were there, they met two very elderly saints, two very elderly folks, Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna. Now, it was Simeon who prophesied that the child would be a symbol that would be opposed. A sign is the word, I think, in most translations, but a symbol, and we, have, we can see this even today. We can see that the cross is a symbol. Christ the Messiah is a symbol that is opposed. We've seen this come to pass. But even in her own day, it says in chapter 2, verse 30, 35, that she also would have to prepare for opposition of another kind. And she is told that a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And this was not hopeful news for her. She didn't know exactly what that would be, didn't know uh, any more than any other Jew at that time, not understanding that the Messiah who was coming would have to suffer and die. She was also under the same assumption that the Messiah would bring rejoicing and millennium and kingdom, she had no idea either. And so Mary is going to face fear throughout her lifetime, and she's going to face fear and overcome it with faith. Now it has fits and starts. Mary wasn't a perfect porcelain princess. She struggled with needing to live by faith just like any of us do. And so turn with me back to Matthew chapter 2, chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, and we see life in Bethlehem after they had gone to the temple to circumcise and dedicate the child, they returned in Matthew chapter 2, we see the description of the wise men coming. Now, this was a couple of probably at least six months, maybe even up to two years, in which they had resided in Bethlehem. They had not made the journey back to Nazareth at this point. And um, while they were there, they were visited by magi who were bringing extravagant gifts from all all different kinds. We have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these were put at their feet, and it was exciting. It was almost mystifying what was happening. But that was the limit of their excitement. That was the limit. 
things began to turn very quickly as Joseph received very specific guidance from the Lord that he ought to take his child and mother and take them down to Egypt because Herod was going to be seeking the life of the child. Think about the experience that Mary would have had in that moment. She would have had to pack up and take very limited things with her and would have had to have traveled at least several, maybe even a week of travel over uh, dangerous territory to get to maybe a, considered a safe populated location of Egypt where they could kind of blend in a bit with the populace. But it would have been difficult, frightened. They were running for their lives. This was not just another trip. This was not a road trip that, that she would be looking forward to. Think about it. This is a flight in itself is another test of her faith whether or not she would be able to endure the trial of the movement and uncertainty. All these things were taking a toll upon her. Yet Mary continued to grow in her faith. I don't know about you, but moving, uprooting, change, instability, these are not the ways that most women would like to start their family. Most ladies would like to have a settled place, know exactly where they're going to be for the next five years so that they can relax and nurture. These were difficult times for Mary. And she had to begin to embrace faith through the struggles that she was going to be experiencing. We're going to move into the return from Egypt they return, to, um, they return to Nazareth, but we're not going to be able to spend much time there this morning. We're going to go to, back to Luke chapter 2 and verse 41 to 52. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 we see that they had returned to their hometown of Nazareth, and that in itself would have been difficult. Going back to the place, the city of her scorn, in which people had been looking at her negatively. What it would have been like to see those men and women again who talked about her, that would have been very difficult and challenging. But yet she still had to live by faith even in that. And we don't have a lot of detail about life in Nazareth during that time period. But we do have an incident in which Jesus, now 12 years old, was traveling with the family to Jerusalem. After this point, Joseph does not appear in any of the Gospels. But at this point, they travel together as a family and I trust that some of us know the story in which Jesus uh, stayed behind. He was assumed to be with the others, and they were traveling home, and a couple of days on the journey home, it was suddenly realized that Jesus is not with the other kids in the community. They're, they had left him behind. I don't know, uh, maybe you've heard stories about leaving kids at church. I don't know. Uh, we left... Uh, if that ever happened to you, but we did leave one of our kids uh, asleep in a pew on a Sunday evening. Back in the old days, there was a Sunday evening service in some churches, 
and uh, we had a child in the, that was laid out sleeping, and uh, all the lights went off. We went out to the car, and we started counting up the sheep, and we had a sheep left inside the building. Now, I've heard of others who have left and traveled further than that. I think that happened over here at this place. I don't know. Anyway, won't embarrass people anymore. Um, but anyway, Mary was shocked, realizing, shocked, realizing that her own child was there acting as if he were an adult. Speaks to the maturity of, of Jesus, and they returned back, and they found Jesus talking with the, the, the teachers in the temple, and they asked him, Don't, why did you do this to us? <laughs> Don't you know that we would be worried for you? And shock of shocks, Jesus tells his mother, these words, didn't you know that I must needs be about my father's business? Already, Jesus is looking ahead to the day when he would be out of the house in doing his father's business. I think every parent must at some point put their children in God's capable hands. And this in itself is a struggle for many ladies and also for fathers as well. We also have to let go of our children by faith. We have to allow God and His sovereignty to do what He plans to do with our children. We must let God be sovereign. I know that some of us have seen our children grow up and we have seen childhood professions seem to just vanish into thin air as if the fruit just doesn't seem to be there. But we also have to trust God and let God be sovereign and trust that His Word will not return void. We have to live by faith in those moments too. As the biography moves along, we jump forward almost 30, well, 20, 20 years or so. And let's turn over to John chapter 2 for a moment. In John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we see the narrative, and again, I'm providing the references this morning, and I'm retelling some of the, the story here. You can spend time with this this afternoon as well. And we're seeing here in John 1, a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, though, so there must have been some family connection that drew the family there, and Jesus and his disciples. He was just beginning his earthly ministry. And at the wedding, we see Mary having faith in her son's position as the Messiah, but also struggling with letting go again. She steps in and tries to solve the situation that was developing. She recognized that the wine was drawing low, and they were Going to be, there was going to be embarrassment by the host family. And so she went to her son and asked him to do something about it. And she probably was shocked to hear these words. Lady, what does their lack of wine have anything to do with me? Lady. That's actually respectful. In some translations, the word woman. But this... It's a respectful term, but still it's a term of distance. 
It's not mother, which is more close and intimate. And life is so full of transitions. And the problem for parents is we can remember all the stupid things that our kids did. But we must also remember that they are directly accountable to God when they're adults and let God manage their affairs. We cannot children or child parent our children forever. Our children are on loan. And so by having eyes to see, and we have to believe that this is the case, we have to also assist our children with the transition and let them function as independent adults. Now, I haven't caught to that stage of life yet, so I'm preaching ahead of myself. I know that, but I'm getting closer. This is difficult for Mary. You can see it in the details. And she didn't always live by faith as she claimed. Yes, she believed in God, but she was human. And she fell at times and didn't in every moment live by faith. But to her credit, she stepped back and allowed her son to exercise his independence and authority in this moment. It was still difficult because if we turn over in our Bibles to, to Mark chapter 3, we, we see another incident as the crowds were starting to congregate around Jesus. Um, if you went to John, you have to go backwards to Mar Mark chapter 3. And we see in verse 20 to 35, this, this, this crowds that were gathering around Jesus, and, and uh, it was difficult it was confusing what Jesus was doing. She was probably nervous that the Romans were going to take notice of Jesus in these crowds and perhaps even bring the centurion, the, the centurion with the, the battalion in and maybe even capture Jesus. I am speculating there a little bit, but we do know that Mary and Jesus' siblings came and approached Jesus, and they were wanting to take him home, and they were saying, he's out of his mind with some of the things he's doing. In verse 21, we read those, those words, um, chapter 3, verse 20, 21. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. And shockingly, Jesus heard these words in verse 33 and verse through 35. She heard these uh, either directly or indirectly. Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looked around at the people sitting around and, and, and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That was a statement of disownment. That would have been very difficult for Mary to hear if she didn't also have eyes of faith and ears to hear. Perhaps in the pain, she was still able to see through and begin to understand what was happening. Remarkably, after this incident, Jesus told a story, and I won't cover these verses right now, but you can follow the text forward. Jesus begins to tell the, story, the parable of the seed and the soils. Verse 
And, and perhaps she reflected on the parable with this moment because it's true that not everyone who lives in the world will be born again. Only those who produce fruit of faith are indeed born into God's family. You know, we have earthly family, and we would pray, and we would hope, and we would convince, and we would try to witness and evangelize our lost family, but there is coming a day when we may not see them again, and we have to give recognition to that. We have to believe Jesus' words that there may be some who do not respond, and on their own they resist and they harden their hearts. We have to recognize that, that the true family of God, which is eternal, is our mother, our brothers, our sisters. That's a hard thing to hear, but we have to see it with eyes of faith and, and persevere in and, spite and of the pain that we experience in seeing friends and family harden their hearts. And we ought to keep praying and persevering and so I want us now to jump all the way towards the end of her biography. I want us to see John chapter 19. We're going to be standing underneath of the cross with Mary. In John chapter 19, verse 25 to 27, we see the culmination here of her son's life. And at the cross, Mary's sorrow reaches a climax. This was the sorrow that Simeon told her about. The proper order of life is that the parent goes and dies before the child. But here she's looking at the child hanging on that wooden cross and dying out of the normal order of things. Was she ready to hear the words, woman or lady? Behold your son. Devastating. Jesus looked down from the cross and saw her there and directed John the apostle. Jesus' own siblings had not abandoned him and they were not there either. And he appointed John the apostle to take care of his mother. Mary would have found now that biology... It's no longer a criterion for being family. Faith redefines family beyond bloodlines. Yet she knew her son was dying. Would she be able to see any future beyond? How would she be grieving? We're going to leave this scene at the cross and move forward to Acts chapter 1. Because it's how the scriptures and the narration moves. The next time we read of Mary, it's, it's after the resurrection. And in none of the resurrection accounts do we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the tomb. Mary, as we are told, went home with John and continued to grieve over the loss of her child. And she probably did see Jesus with the crowd with the other disciples after the resurrection. Yet she, she's here in the upper room, and we find her with the other disciples. And we read in verse 12 
Um, and then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, P Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And all these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so, here she is. She's with the other disciples now. This is her family. This is her family. She's considered as if she were an ordinary disciple with the others. She's about 48 years old at this point. She's with the disciples waiting the outpouring of the Holy Spirit just as they are. She's described, if you will, as if she is a woman of faith, a disciple. She is also risking her own life with the other disciples. What if the Pharisees had decided to raid the upper room? She would have been taken with them. Yet she knows the reality of the Scriptures. She knows now her eyes can see completely clear. She has seen her resurrected son. But she recognizes him now not as merely a human son. She sees him for who he is as the risen son of God. The author of the book of Hebrews describes this, that since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to the lifelong slavery. Mary now is acting boldly with the other disciples because she understands that the slavery and fear of death has been taken away. She's living boldly through faith with the other disciples. She's not cowering off by herself. She is with the body. She's with the brethren. She's with the disciples. She's living boldly by faith. Mary here is a woman of faith, and I believe that she, in her biography, serves as a blueprint for all who would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has destroyed the power of death. Over our lifetime, we are going to experience many dangers, many toils, many snares. You know, it's grace that teaches our hearts to fear God and not to fear death. Grace, our fears relieves. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to encourage you. I want to commend to you your sister Mary as a living example of faith. She had faith in God. And we live in a world that is set to try to manipulate our thoughts and our feelings. Try to manipulate us with the fear of death. Think of this, Mary, who shared in the flesh and blood, she was the provision of Jesus. But she also anchored her hope in God. She had faith in God and found God to keep every promise to her. The writer of Hebrews, in the last chapter, 
says these words, and allow me to paraphrase it slightly. Consider the outcome of her life. Consider the outcome of her way of life and imitate her faith. This is how we ought to live the Christian life. And as we prepare to worship the Lord, even now in the next moments, as we consider communion, which represents death and life, recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord over it all. And by faith alone, we can persevere through the challenges of life, just as Mary did. Because faith finds its reward in our faithful and merciful Jesus. It's not faith concocted and elevated and worked up by sheer willpower in ourselves. It's eyes that look to Jesus and find confidence in Him. Let's be bold. Let's be people of faith. Let's follow our Savior, even if there may be dangers, toils, and snares.